Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, hear the word of the Lord. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Once I was invited to be the speaker at a conference at what turned out to be a very remote village in the mountains of the state of Michoacan in Mexico, which was a neighboring state to ours. And so I was able to find this little little town. This was before, before smartphones and GPS and so on was available to everyone, but I was able to find it. And so they housed me in a room off of a, uh, one of the houses there, a comfortable room. Uh, the bathroom facilities, however, were outside in another building. They had indoor plumbing, but it was, it was in another place. And so to get there, I had to go outside, of course. And had a wonderful time with the folks out there and preached at their, their conference. But at night, I had to use the facilities. And I went outside, and I was struck with something that is very unusual for most of us. Maybe some of us have never been in this situation. It was pitch black. Pitch black. For some reason, there was no moon that night. There were no stars that night. And there was no artificial illumination either in that little town at night. It was pitch black. And I had to find my way to the, the outhouse building. There were other things out at night, though, I discovered. And those were the farm animals of the village. And I, I tried to let my eyes adjust, but there just wasn't enough light for me to adjust to see well. But I could sense movement around me of very large creatures. And so my mind began to invent things, as minds do in those sort of situations, and I could detect that it was probably a cow, but then I wondered if they let their bulls out at night as well. And I was uh, becoming, uh, feeling very alone, very lost, uh, rather afraid, and I needed what? Light. That's the only thing I wanted. I wanted light. Now, this was before smartphones, so I didn't have a, a always-with-me flashlight. And I just had to stumble and feel my way through the dark, hoping not to run into any sort of aggressive farm animal who wouldn't be happy with me stumbling upon him or her at night. Well, we rarely find ourselves in that sort of situation, those of us who live in, in populated areas. It's an unusual experience to be in something that dark. But, metaphorically, we may find ourselves in situations like that in life, in which we're groping around, and we're feeling very alone, somewhat afraid, perhaps even lost. And what we really want is guidance. We want some light to guide our lives, to show us the way, 
to show us the way to live, to show us the way to go so that we won't stumble, so that we won't fall, so that we won't become in a dangerous situation. Well, it turns out that we have that light. We have that light, and we read about that light in these few verses today. But this light is useful only if we use it. And so we hear this text as a a call not only to understand what this light is, but to pay attention there too. Now, in verse 19, it begins by talking about the prophetic word. Now, you see, you recall if you were here last week, that we heard a word last week. There was a word that was born to Jesus. It was carried to Jesus by the majestic glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And there were three witnesses there, Peter, James, and John, heard that word from heaven that was carried to Jesus. And the word was, this is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. And uh, this word that we hear about today also is born to humans. But here we call, it's another form of the word, it's called the prophetic word. So that we have the voice from heaven last week, and now we have the prophetic word. What is the prophetic word? A couple of possibilities here, but they actually end up amounting to the same thing. The prophetic word could be the entire Old Testament. That's one way of referring to the Old Testament. It's the the prophetic word. Or it could be focused on the, the prophecies, the predictions, particularly about the powerful coming of Jesus. Do you remember we saw that, and we'll meet them next week in full force, but there were false teachers among the churches to whom Peter was writing, and they were denying the powerful coming of Jesus. And we saw last week that the transfiguration was an anticipation of the powerful coming of Jesus. So it may be that the prophetic word are those prophecies that predict the powerful coming of the Lord. And there are many of those. There are many of those in the the prophetic sections of Scripture, and even those sections of Scripture that we would call historical. There are many anticipations of the powerful coming of the Messiah. And these are not Christian constructions only. These are texts that that Jewish people, Jewish scholars would look at and say, yes, these texts are about the powerful coming of the Lord, the powerful coming of His Anointed One, the powerful coming of the Messiah. So, what is the prophetic word? It is either the whole Old Testament, or it is that section of the whole Old Testament that talks about the powerful coming of the Lord. But as I said, this really amounts to the same thing. Because, in some way or other, every part of the Old Testament anticipates the powerful coming of the Lord. So, we're talking about the Old Testament. Fascinatingly, we will get to the New Testament in chapter 3. But here the focus is on that which was already given. And Peter says here that we have this prophecy, uh, this this prophetic word, more fully confirmed. More fully confirmed. And there's some different ideas about what that means. More fully confirmed. You might ask, more fully confirmed than what? And there are a couple, some ideas about this. There are those who think that it's more fully confirmed than the voice of the transfiguration. But that really doesn't make much sense. That it could be more fully confirmed than the voice speaking to Jesus uh, from, from heaven. The other idea, which is much more likely, 
that it is more fully confirmed by the voice of God speaking from heaven. That is, what the prophets prophesied in the Old Testament is confirmed by that voice from the Lord saying, this is my son. And that's much more likely. And the idea there is that Jesus revealed as the Son of God is the confirmation of the Old Testament. It is more fully confirmed. Why? Because Jesus has come and because He has been declared to be the Son of God. And that is the confirmation of the prophetic word. There's another idea that may be the case, that it's not really a comparison after all, but it's just simply saying that that we have both of these. We have the, the transfiguration voice and we have the prophetic word. We have these both more fully confirmed. As I said, the the second one is probably the best alternative. And both of these, second and third, affirm that the Old Testament is foundational for whom? It is foundational for Christians. It is our book. It is foundational for our lives. And therefore, he says here that we do well. This is kind of an understatement, isn't it? You do well to pay attention to it. Pay attention, Christian, to the Old Testament. Now, the reason we should pay attention to it, and here's where that lamp comes in. He says, as to a lamp shining in a murky, dank, dark place. Even if you have never been in pitch blackness, you've been in enough darkness, really daily. Now, with the time change, if you get up early... You're in darkness, and what's the first thing you do? You turn on a light. Because you don't want to stumble, you don't want to fall. We understand this image very, very clearly. If you're in a dark place, use the light that's available to you. And this is saying that we are, folks, in a dark place. That this world is a spiritually, morally dark place. Place And therefore, we need light if we are going to navigate it successfully. And Peter says, pay attention to the Word of God. Pay attention to the Scripture that has been given to you. It will guide your life in this dark, murky place. So we should ask ourselves, are we paying attention to the Word of God? Is it that which guides our lives? We get up in the morning... What, what, what determines how we treat other people? What determines what are the priorities for the day or the priorities for our lives, the priorities for the use of our time, the priorities for the use of our money, the priorities for the use of our, our words, the priorities for the investment of everything that we have? What, what determines that? What, what guides that? Are we paying attention to the Word so that it is that light which guides us in this dark world among the path in which we should go. It's kind of surprising, isn't it? That those who live in darkness should be reminded to use the light that's available. It's kind of surprising, isn't it, that Christians should be reminded to pay attention to the Bible. But here it is in Scripture, and so we're not the first generation that needs that reminder Peter, who was about to to pass on from this world, uh, to fold up his tent and and go on to be with the Lord, he's reminding them. And he's saying, pay attention. Even after I'm gone, I want you to remember these words. Pay attention to the Word of God that's been given to you. 
we could probably learn from our brothers and sisters in other places around the world that, that don't have these available to them at any turn and at any, on any device. I saw a video a couple times and I watched it a, a few times last week. It's moving every time I see it. It's a, a short video. You can look it up. It's on YouTube. And it's very, very grainy. It's not a good quality. It looks like somebody took an old, old cell phone and recorded this. It's of Chinese Christians. And these are Chinese Christians in a very remote place. And they're receiving their first Bibles. And there's a box that's deposited in the middle of the room, and that's where the video starts, where they open the box. And these Christians almost forget themselves and almost stampede to this box. And then they, they remember their, their kindness toward one another, but they're, they're pushing forward as kindly as they can, each one of them, to get a Bible. Their first Bible. And then after they're plenty for all, and after these, these Christians, these Chinese Christians, have this, this Bible for the first time in their lives, in their own language, they're hugging it, and they're kissing it, and then very carefully taking out the plastic wrapping and taking off the plastic wrapping and, and opening it and looking at it. And then woman, one woman speaks to the group and with tears in her eyes she said repeatedly, this is what we needed most. This is what we needed most. Do we know what we need most? Is that how we approach the Word? Do we, do we clutch it? Not only to our chests, but to our hearts do we say, this is what we need most. In this life, this is what we need most. Now he goes on to tell us why. Why this is a light. Why this guides our path. He says that this is the, the light that will last our whole lives. And in fact, it will last to the rest of the history of the world. It says here, until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your hearts. The end of verse 19. The day. What is the day? We will find out in, in 2 Peter 3 that the day is the day of the Lord. So this is the night and then the day of the Lord. That will be the dawning of the day when, when darkness will be put aside. And we won't need the light that we need now. We will have the full light then. And then it says the morning star. What was the morning star? This was Venus. The planet Venus was called the morning star, which appeared, and apparently appears, I don't know enough about astronomy to know, but apparently it appears before dawn. It appears before dawn, and it, it says that dawn is coming. And so, some have looked at this and said, this is backwards. It says, the day dawn, and then the morning star appears. It should be, the morning star appears, and then the day dawns. But it looks like what he's doing here is he is going in the order from general to personal. The day dawns, but not only does the day dawn, but the morning star appear. And then we find in the, the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So it looks like what Peter is doing is he, he may be reversing it astronomically, 
by saying the day dawns and the morning star, but he's saying the day comes, but not only does the day come, but Jesus comes here. The morning star arises on that day. And he says here that he arises in our hearts. Now, we ought not to psychologize this as if it were just an event that takes place within ourselves. No, it is an event that takes place externally in the world, in the universe, for all to see. But he illumines us finally. We perceive his coming in our hearts. The external coming finally illumines us perfectly. And then he says, knowing, verse 20. You've seen that word a few times in in 2 Peter, haven't we? Knowing, it's all about knowledge. Knowing what? Knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Now, um, this means either the prophet's own interpretation or the reader's own interpretation. And it's possible, either of these interpretations are possible. It could mean that that the origin of Scripture is not the, the prophet's own interpretation of things, or it could mean that we should not uh, come up with, with strange interpretations of our own. And either of those fit in this letter, because right here he's emphasizing the origin of Scripture, but later on in chapter 3 he talks about the, the, the twisted interpretation of the false teachers. However, it looks here as if the emphasis is on the prophet's own interpretation. So look at verse 20, knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And then verse 21 says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. And so it looks like what he's saying is, we don't have prophecies because of the prophet's own will, because of the prophet's own ideas, because of the prophet's own interpretation. But what do we have? In Scripture, what do we have? He says, no prophecy of Scripture was ever by the will of man, but men spoke, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke. Now, interestingly, he uses the word spoke when he's talking about what? He's talking about writings. He's talking about prophecy of Scripture. So not only did they speak, but what else did they do? They wrote. And so he's, he's, he's putting those two together under this verb spoke. But we ought to understand that men, normal men, just like us, spoke and wrote using normal human faculties. These faculties that that the Lord has given us of speaking and of writing. So this action was not some magical action on their part. It was human action. It It was the things that humans do, speak and write. At the same time, it says that they spoke from God. So there were human actions, but their speaking and their writing was from God at the same time. And then he uses a maritime imagery here. He says, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, their speaking and their their writing was, was human activity. And at the same time, it was from God, and it was carried to its destination by the Holy Spirit. So they were writing, they were speaking 
and at the same time they were being carried along so that their destination was the destination that God had planned for us. So that the product was the product that God wanted them to produce. Now, this is why we call the Bible the Word of God. And we often use the word the inspired Word of God. That, that word, spired, spirit, it is it is. It is a a word that has been carried to us by these men, through these men, by the influence, by the working of the Holy Spirit. There is a a fascinating illustration in Acts chapter 27 of how this works. As I said, it's a maritime imagery, and if we go to Acts 27, we have a, a maritime situation. We have people on a boat in the Mediterranean, and it's a sailboat. And what, is, what, a, what does a sailboat need in order to, to advance? It needs breath. It needs wind. It needs something to give it the impulse. But at the same time, what do the sailors do? Do they just sit there? Do they do nothing? No, sailors work hard. And these two things work together. If, if we pick up the story, it, it's Paul on his way to Rome, but he gets interrupted by a storm along the way. And in verse 13 of Acts 27, it says, Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. This is the same verb that Peter uses about carried along. We were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulties to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. And the story goes on, and we find in chapter 28, verse 1, After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. You see, they were driven along. They had no idea where they were. They were driven along, and then they ended up running aground on the island of Malta. Now, let me ask you something. How did they get to Malta? Well, they got there... Because the sailors, they undergirded the ship, they hoisted this sail, they took down that sail, they threw out sea anchors, they, 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 uh, they used the rudder, they, they jettisoned the cargo, they did all they could, and they got to Malta. But at the same time, they had no idea what their destiny was. They were just trying to survive this storm. They got to Malta because the storm blew them to Malta. They got to Malta because the wind pushed them to Malta. And I invite you to look at a Bible map. And look at, look at the, the tracing, the possible tracing of this, this journey to Rome. And when I look at that Bible map, I question, I say, how in the world, in all of the Mediterranean Sea, did they run in to Malta? Because it's not that big a place, Malta, in a very big sea. And I ask myself, how was it? How was it that they ran aground on that island and nowhere else? 
That was a, that was a pinpoint sort of destination. How could it be that they got there? And the answer is, well, because of the sailors and because of the wind. And we see, of course, in that, that God was directing them to Malta. And that's the same thing we have with the Scriptures. Why do we have the Scriptures? How, how did they get to us? How did this, this pinpoint, precise, perfect word get to us? Well, it got to us because men preached and because men wrote. And because God blew, because God carried them along, He, he drove them along so that the destination would be precisely the destination that God had for us. The perfect destination the one that we most need. Now, this final product is therefore a collection of writings, a collection of writings that is fully human and fully divine. And that's a good thing, isn't it? It's fully human, which means we can what? We can understand it. Imagine if we just had some sort of angelic book Or some divine book dropped to us in divine language or angelic language. That would be a wonderful thing, but it would be obtuse. It would be completely dark to us. We could not understand it. We humans need what? We need human language. And thanks be to God, this book is fully human. So we can understand it. But it's also fully divine. If it were just fully human, it would just be another book among the millions and millions of books out there. But it is fully divine, and so, and so, it is God's Word to us, and it is able to guide our lives to be a light to us in this dark place. And for this reason, for this reason, we must pay careful attention to it. The good news is that we can pay careful attention to it. Not only do we have it, but it's in our language. And we must pay careful attention to it because it is God's Word. It is that light that He has given us for our lives. Now, this, this may seem like a very, a very surprising sort of idea. A Word that is fully human and fully divine. But it shouldn't be surprising for Christians because after all, that's what the Christian faith is all about, isn't it? It's about the divine Word who became one of us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. What what is it that we believe as Christians? We believe that Jesus is fully human and that He is fully God, that He is the Word made flesh. And so we believe in Him. And these two words go together. Why should we pay careful attention to the Old Testament and as we'll see to the New Testament as well? Because they teach us about Jesus. What does this fully human and fully divine written Word do for us? It it guides us to the, the Word who became flesh. And Jesus, that Word, that divine Word who is fully human said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for condescending to speak to us 
in words that we can understand, and at the same time in words that are yours. And we thank you for this word that's before us, that's in our houses, on our phones, wherever we might be, it's with us. If we will but read it, we pray, O oh God, that we would pay attention to it, that it would guide our lives, guide our steps every day of our lives. Illumine us so that we might not stumble or walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And we thank you that this word reveals to us Jesus. And I pray that all of us would see and know and believe in him so that we might have that light of life that we desperately need. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.